Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He might belong to the two and a half percent of people who do that. Or perhaps the 16 percent. I'm referring to what happens when there are new ideas. According to communication theorists, this is what happens. 16% of people adopt new ideas quickly, and they have done research to back it up. But even with other research to back it up, you know that when something new bursts on the scene, not all people rush to adopt or accept it. A small number does it first, and later more people join, and as time goes on, maybe majority of people do. There are five categories of people when it comes to adopting new ideas. They are innovators, early adopters, early majority adopters, late majority adopters. The fifth category are known as the laggards. Not only are you last to adopt, but you are also called a laggard. I, I wonder how you might feel if you are referred to as a laggard. Perhaps you feel it is a negative term and would not like it at all. Perhaps you are not a latecomer, and so the term wouldn't bother you one bit. Of course, it is just a technical term, not meant to be pejorative. And being a laggard can be good because the problematic things about a new idea may have been worked out before you get in on the action. I think you can get that impression about the Apostle Paul when he writes about Christ's appearance to the disciples and to some 500 people at the same time after his resurrection. Paul wrote, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Nicodemus, can easily be classified as an innovator or early adopter. At least his action by in going to Jesus that night would give that impression. That's what innovators or early adopters do. What he did was surprising, given that he was a high-ranking Pharisee since he belonged to the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. He was perhaps trying to preserve his position while investigating what he and the rest of the people were seeing Jesus do, miraculous signs or simply miracles. Perhaps there was something about these miraculous signs that were pointing to something even bigger. If there was, it would be worth investigating and adopting. That's what innovators and early adopters do. It is a reasonable explanation of why Nicodemus would go to see Jesus at night. Thus far in his gospel, John had only explicitly spoken about the one sign that Jesus had performed, turning water into wine at a wedding at Cana in Galilee. He called it the first of the signs through which Jesus revealed his glory. John names the second sign as, as Jesus healing a royal official son in Capernaum. After that, he relates some miracles that take place, but he does not number them. We can count them. Altogether, in his gospel, 
he mentions seven signs. But apparently, from what Nicodemus said, Jesus had been performing signs regularly with the result that everybody knew he had heard about them. Some were curious to know what all that implied, but they did not go to Jesus to ask him. Nicodemus, on the other hand, went. There must be some implications about these miraculous signs, he must have thought, and he was curious to know what those might be. So he went, under the cover of darkness, to Jesus. The first thing he said to Jesus was, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. That was a preface to something he wanted to ask. But Jesus did not wait for him to finish his flattery and get to his question or questions if that was the reason he had come to him in the first place. Sometimes that happens in our world. Has that happened to you before? You say something and it is completely ignored. You ask a question and the answer you get doesn't respond to your question at all. I've seen that a few times on television. Talk show hosts invite politicians and some experts in the field and they ask them questions. Sometimes the experts offer an answer that does not respond to the question at all. It seems they have an agenda and they want that agenda heard within that short period of time that they have with the hosts. So they deliberately answer a question that they want asked. Maybe they believe that what they want to say is so important that if they don't say it within that short period of time allotted, they will never get a chance again to say it. If you're paying attention to a show, you may get frustrated because you know they didn't answer the question posed to them. The hosts sometimes get frustrated too as they ask the same question in different ways but get the same answer. Our text for today, the gospel, is very familiar. So familiar, in fact, that sometimes you can conclude some of the sentences as soon as somebody begins to read them, or even as soon as you begin to read them. Sometimes, when I read this passage, I wonder what Nicodemus' reaction was when Jesus began to answer a question he had not asked. Maybe he could have thought, oh, I had a different question. Or that's not a question I asked. Let me say why I really came to you. Or perhaps what I really wanted to ask you was, are you the Messiah? But he didn't get the chance because Jesus took over the conversation. He had something of eternal value to teach Nicodemus. He could not let that opportunity pass by. Teach a teacher and a teacher could have more impact on their students. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless the person is born again. It's not just seeing the kingdom from afar, but actually entering it or becoming a member of that kingdom. Apart from a few religious experts, every Israelite was looking for the kingdom of God and becoming a member when that kingdom comes to be. If you have been under so much oppression, including exile, and currently under occupation, the promise of the kingdom of God to bring you final relief would be attractive to you. The Israelites had been hoping for and looking for this kingdom for a long time. So perhaps 
If you are a Nicodemus, you are thinking that this Jesus who was performing so many miraculous signs could be the one bringing it about in your lifetime. But you're not certain. So what better place to go than to the man himself, even if it had to be under the cover of darkness? But then Jesus tells you that what you are looking for is impossible, not just for you, but for anyone else. He tells you, you must be born again. Nobody has said anything like that before. It is not in the scriptures that you, sent, you spend a lifetime studying. So what do you do? You ask for clarification. Surely a person cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Yep. Jesus' answer did not make sense. It would not be easy to be an innovator or an early adopter. So now Jesus explains, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked incredulously. Jesus himself seemed surprised that Nicodemus did not understand what he had just said, given that Nicodemus is Israel's teacher, that is, the foremost religious teacher. Now, I don't need to tell you what Jesus meant by being born again with water and the Spirit, because you know it. You know it if you have been a lifetime, lifelong Lutheran. You know it if you've only recently become Lutheran. You know it even if you are not Lutheran. You know it is baptism. But knowing it doesn't make it any easier to understand. You may be able to quote Martin Luther's explanation of it as written in a small catechism. What is baptism? He asks. Answer, baptism is not just plain water, but the water that is included in God's command and combined with God's word. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare it. If you learned this as a Lutheran kid, you can perhaps recite it from memory. Still, it is difficult to understand it the way you would like to. Knowing what it is and what it does may still not affect the way you feel. It will be easier, easier to say you feel different since you've been baptized. You know, you cannot touch your skin after baptism and feel any different. Your color doesn't change after baptism. Your speech doesn't change after baptism. Your accent doesn't change after baptism. You still feel the same. You feel you. It is impossible to feel that you have entered the kingdom of God because you've been baptized. It is impossible to feel your way into God's kingdom. Still, you can know with confidence, you can know with certainty that you are a member of God's kingdom even if you don't feel different. Why? Because it's about the business of making the impossible possible. Even though you may not feel differently, he has made you different. Through what may be seen with the naked eye as water only, but which with Jesus' doing is filled with the Holy Spirit, you have been made a part of the kingdom. Yes, you, whether you are an innovator or an early adopter, or belong to the early majority adopters or late majority adopters or to the laggards. You belong to the kingdom of God. 
which for now is hidden, but which would be made manifest when Jesus comes again. Jesus could have simply spoken, and the impossibility of entering God's kingdom would be possible, such as when he spoke and people were healed or raised from the dead. It would be easy for him, because everything was made through him, and nothing was made that has been made without him. He is God, and he knows that what keeps people from the kingdom of God had to be rectified. What keeps people from being in God's kingdom? It is sin. That is, knowing what is right and not doing it, knowing what is wrong and doing it. It can be thought, action, or speech. Nicodemus was guilty of that. How do I know? Because he was a human being. You are guilty of that. How do I know? Same answer. I am guilty of that. How do I know? You can say that with me with certainty. And I want you to say with me, same answer. Say with me, same answer. I am a human being. Jesus is a God of justice, but he did not come to exact punishment for wrongdoing he came to take what we deserve as sinful human beings upon himself so that we would be free, members of God's kingdom right now and forever. Jesus made a reference to Moses lifting up the snake in the desert. It is a reference to an incident that happened to the Israelites in the wilderness on their way from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. It is found in Numbers chapter 21, where the Israelites kept grumbling that there was no food and there was no water. God sent venomous snakes among them, and those who were bitten died, a lot of them. When they acknowledged their sin, Moses prayed to God. God instructed him to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift it up. Anyone who was bitten and looked at the bronze snake did not die. The Israelites had taken this bronze snake with them to Israel and were worshiping it even 700 years later. What was meant to be a reminder of God's great grace and love to them became an idol for worship. When Hezekiah became king of Israel, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to the writer of 2 Kings. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut on the Asherah poles, he broke it into pieces, the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. That bronze snake on the pole pointed to Jesus Christ being lifted up, that is, being crucified. He did not remain dead on the cross, however. He died and he was buried and he rose again from the dead. These two events, his being lifted up on the cross and his being lifted up from the grave are necessary and sufficient to bring you into God's kingdom. It is impossible to enter the kingdom of God by your own efforts, but Jesus makes the impossible possible for you. He distributes the benefit of his crucifixion and resurrection to you when you are born again as he revealed to Nicodemus. He gives it to everyone who believes. Whether you are an innovator or an early adopter, 
or early majority adopter or late majority adopter or a laggard, Jesus is all yours. He loved you so much. He gave his very life for you even before you were born. Thanks be to him. To him alone be the honor and glory both now and forever. Amen.